Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God you guys had an awesome Thanksgiving. Am I on? Yep, now I am. Um, and happy first day of Advent. Yay. Um, okay, so just to sort of get us thinking about this season, um, and my voice, you hear my voice, it's a little eh, so I might be drinking a lot of water, so just bear with me. Um, all right, by the raising of hands, we're going to do a little poll. Raise your hand, this is about when you put up your Christmas tree. So raise your hand, if you put up your Christmas tree, Beginning of November. Beginning of November. I was going to say, Shantae and Josh do not do this. Oh, they're not. Did they go to the, I think they're not even in here. They would be, they would be, yeah. Okay, raise your hand if you put your tree up right before Thanksgiving. Right before Thanksgiving. Raise your hand if you put your tree up right after Thanksgiving. Like early, early December, okay? Raise your hand if you wait to the last minute to put up your tree. <laughs> Raise your hand if you don't put up a tree. Bah humbug, people. No. Okay. All right. Raise your hand if you keep your tree up all year long. Is there no one in here? My, so my, um, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law totally did this. <laughs> they said they just got so lazy, they, would, they left their tree up, and they just kept, like, changing out the ornaments to, like, go with new holidays, like hearts for Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to see if there was any of that. Okay, so I'm asking you, well, now let me ask you this. How many of you have celebrated or celebrated Advent in the past? Like, as a, like, you, you've done it several years. How many of you, Advent's sort of brand new for you? So cool and interesting, right? I love it. All right, so what I wanted to do today was, the, the first part I just wanted to like really talk about what Advent is 
fairly quickly, um, and demystify it. For me, I did not grow up celebrating Advent. It's not something we did in, in our particular faith. So this has also come to me later in life, and it's really been a beautiful discovery for me. Um, but this is the idea. So we today, we often know when the Christmas season starts by what? Someone yell it out. Radio? Santa Claus? When the stores are decorated, right? The other one, what are the cups that come out? The controversial? Okay. When we see the red cups, what do we say? The, hol the holiday season's out. But you know what? So thousands of years ago, guess what dictated the start of the season? Advent. So what we've done as we have like moved on in Christianity is the culture has begun to dictate to us when the holiday starts. Rather than the Christian calendar, holiday's about to start. So Advent is the start of the new year. So we go by, you know, the, the secular calendar says January 1. The Christian calendar, today's day one. Isn't that cool? Like, happy Christian New Year, you know? Today is the first day of the Christian New Year, but we don't know that. We are so oriented to the culture in our world rather than sort of this Christian culture that's been around for thousands of years. Um, so Advent has this long history. It goes back 1,600 years, so if you think about that. Um, it used to be a very solemn time of prayer and fasting, and this is actually a new discovery for me. Um, this year, because I thought Advent was sort of like, woohoo, but it's really not. It's sort of a time where you get quiet. Imagine this time you getting quiet. Like, our minds are like, that's not even possible. How can I quiet myself in the busiest season of the year? But historically, this is the time where you began to look inward, and you began to say, how do I prepare my heart for the coming of Christ? Um, and I, I, I found this quote, there's this you know, I, I've looked at a lot of different sort of blogs and resources, and I just, I actually repeated this to Josh. My brother sent this to me, but, so this, this pastor said, human nature being what it is, we ended up skimming the icing off of the cake before the birthday party even started. We like feasts, but we don't like fasts. Many churches and Christians stopped observing the seasons except for the feasts and celebrations, like Easter and Christmas. So we were like, we're going to chop away all the hard stuff, but we want to keep Easter and Christmas because those are super fun. In other words, we dropped the preparation, penitence, and reflection part and went straight for the carols, presents, and eggnog. And I read that, and I was like, oh, no way, no way. That's totally us, right? It's totally us. So Advent today, different churches uh, commemorate this or celebrate it different ways. And so we do not feel like we have to do everything that they've done for 1,600 years. That's obviously not our story. But there's, there's a beauty in it that we want to create space for at River City. So it's traditionally four weeks leading up to Christmas. There are themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. Okay, so I'm going to show you this. This is our evergreen wreath. It's our Advent evergreen wreath. The wreath stands for just God's everlasting love. Traditionally, it's a green wreath. Now, these don't look like red and green, right? Josh, Josh was like, they look like your old grandmother's, you know, colors. 
I'm like, yeah, but that's because we're so trained to think Christmas colors are red and green. But these are symbolic. The purple symbolizes the royalty of Christ, and the pink symbolizes joy. So we do the three weeks, and then the week right before Christmas, we light up for joy. Isn't that cool? I just love stuff like that. I love meaty stuff like that. Um, So Advent means coming. It's a Latin word that means coming, and it obviously has this idea of looking forward to. So we, during the Advent season, we remember how the, the Hebrews longed for their Messiah, okay? We also remember why all of humankind needs a Savior. We are longing for a Savior, and then we are longing for the second coming. So it's like three sort of different ways we can think about the coming of Christ, um, so now, I wanted to tell you why, I, why we celebrate this at River City. Um, and the first is, one of our visions, let's see which one it is. All right, disciples making disciples, right? That's a big part of who we are. Um, discipleship happens when we create space for the Holy Spirit to form us, right? That's spiritual formation. Spiritual formation doesn't happen without space, So we can say all day, we can celebrate and we can love God, but if we're not creating space, if we're not, if we're not being intentional about being countercultural, the spirit cannot form us. So this is an opportunity for us to say, let's slow down, let's slow down, let's create space for the Holy Spirit to encounter us. Um, And and this is sort of what I'm going to tell you guys today is I'm going to use Advent as an encouragement for you to slow down and say, you don't have to let your calendar rule you this season. You don't have to let it overwhelm you, overcome you. You don't have to let this season drain you. Take an opportunity to slow down and really prepare in your heart what it means, what it has meant for all of history that Jesus has come. Like, Jesus has come. That is crazy. I was studying Genesis, and Genesis, the very first interaction God had with Adam and Eve, he said, there's going to there's be an interaction, and, and the serpent, right? You know this verse in Genesis 3? The serpent will strike your heel, but, but God's offspring, it's going to bruise your head. So this story has started unfolding in the beginning of Genesis and has been going and going and going. And then it's like a holy hush, and Jesus comes, and everything has changed. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that. And we look forward to he's coming again. Like, that's such good news. So let's take time to, like, make that serious. Um, and there's, there's one other reason. I was actually talking with someone about this recently, um, about how, you know, a lot of different religions, like, like for Christmas, if you're Jewish, there's very specific things you do, right? Okay? If you celebrate Kwanzaa, there's very specific things you do. A lot of different faiths have, like, really rich traditions. Well, talk to most people about what you do for Christmas, and people will typically say what? Things like, oh, we open up, you know, our pajamas on Christmas Eve, or we go to my aunt's, right? We typically talk about activities we do with our family, but we don't have a larger story of things we do as as a community of faith. We don't really have a lot of things we do as Christians. There's not a lot of tradition there. So here's an opportunity for us to say, we're going to decommercialize this holiday. It's not going to be about gifts. It's not going to be about getting gifts on Christmas. It's going to be about 25 days of preparation leading up to 12 days of Christmas. You guys have heard that song, right? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. There you go. I'm always impressed with people that know all 12. But that is because there were 12 days of Christmas. 
So we actually prepare our hearts, we come to Christmas, and then we celebrate for 12 days, but we don't really know that. We think there's this one little day where we exchange gifts, and then it all ends, right? And we take down our Christmas tree, and it's super depressing. We're like, I don't even want to see Christmas stuff anymore. Turn it off. Like, we're just done, right? And it's because we've taken the time to celebrate when we stood taking the time to prepare. So we flipped it a little bit. Um, all right, so, and then I wanted to tell you how we, my family, does Advent. So if you follow social media, I've been trying to post some stuff. So with the kids, we've been reading, like, the Old Testament story. So we're finishing up the Old Testament, and then we're taking time to do Advent. So we do this book that we've been showing here, um, and it is sort of like a picture book, and every day has a, a story. Um, and the idea of the telling Advent story is telling the story of God leading up to the Christmas story. So you don't, you're not retelling the Christmas story 25 times. You're telling the story of God throughout since creation. And then, so ev- for every day, we have ornaments that we printed out that pertain to the story. So here's an example. So we get a little Christmas tree, and we hang the ornaments on the tree. And it's become a really sweet time. Like this morning, Alethe was like, Mommy, it's the first day of Advent. And I love that she knows that. I love it. I love it that it's not just about, let's do our, our Christmas list, and Santa's coming to town, so I have to be a good little girl. I love that this is about Jesus right now, that we can tell the story of Jesus. And so this is a really, really awesome book. It's very doable. If you have family, there's a ton of Advent devotionals if you want to do it on your own. Um, but that's what we do sort of as a family. Um, drink of water. Everyone take a deep breath. See, now I'm done with my water, and it's not super quiet because that's always the worst. Okay. All right, so Advent for us. Um, I started praying about this forever ago, and I I just really, when I talk to you guys, I want to hear from God. I want to hear, this is like, this is what I want for River City. And so I was like, what? What is our story for Advent? Like, what do you want us to feel and know? And so wait for it. Wait for this word. The word I got was groaning. And I was like, all right, groaning. And it does have a lot of, you guys know me, I love these, like, I love words, I love deeply meaningful words that help us get in touch with things. So I can understand the groaning of the Hebrew people, right, for the coming of God. They're groaning. I can understand Mary being pregnant as a virgin and what that must look like and how there must have been a lot of groaning. I can understand the groaning of childbirth. Like, I feel like that's deeply meaningful. Um, but I wasn't quite sure what it had to do with River City. And then I was looking for a text, and I felt like God led me to Genesis 1-1. So I'm like, okay, these are great things, but I'm not quite sure how they connect, Lord. Um, so normally at the beginning of when I talk, I like to give you guys a nice, like, neat little thesis. Like, here's my thesis for my talk. Um, but today I really sort of want you to journey with me and as we connect these things. Um, so we're going to start with Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And again, the Advent story really begins with the story of God's people. It's, uh, it, it just retells the story of the Old Testament. So some of you guys that are really scared of the Old Testament, this is a good time to go there, you know, and just revisit it and see where God was present. We can see a lot of the places where God's super scary in the Old Testament. We can also find this beautiful love story of a, of a father who would not give up on his people. Um, So Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Ah, it's so good. You've heard it a thousand times, right? 
All right, so I got a little scared going back to Genesis 1-1 because, you know, I didn't want to get into, like, any sort of creation theology. Um, so we're not going to quite go there. We're not going to talk about how exactly God created the world, what it looked like, if it was symbolic, if it was allegorical. We're not going to go there, okay? We're not going to focus on that part. I want you to focus on the earth was formless and empty. All right, so the, the Hebrew word for formless and empty is a phrase, tohu webohu. Say that with me. I don't know if I have the right accent, but, right, ready? So tohu, webohu. Okay, that means formless and empty. And this describes the condition of the land just before God prepared it for man. Okay, so it was formless and empty. People have lots of different opinions on what that means. We're not going to unpack that. Just the idea that it wasn't ready for man and woman to inhabit it. All right, it's the condition of the land before God made it good. If, here's another uh, analogy. It's in its not yet state. So it's there, but it's not yet ready, okay? Um, there's other ways this phrase has been used. Um, it's used to describe Israel's time of waiting in the wilderness before entering the promised land. That's in Deuteronomy 32.10, for those of you guys who like to write down scripture. And also during the, the exile of the Hebrews, and that was Jeremiah 4.23-26. through 26. Um, and I'm actually going to read this Deuteronomy passage because I found this really neat connection that I think is neat. Neat, neat. There you go. Okay. Um, so Deuteronomy 32, and I'll tell you why we're talking about things being formless and empty. Okay. Oh, that's 33. Sorry, guys. I didn't bookmark this because I'm really horrible preparing certain things. All right. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. Now, this is why this is cool. So go back to Genesis 1-1. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of deep, and the Spirit of God was doing what? Hovering. Okay. Hovering is this idea of an eagle over the nest of its young, which I just think, it, like, I read that and I was like, no, that is crazy. So in the Genesis 1 passage, you have formless and empty, the spirit is hovering. You go to that Deuteronomy passage, formless and empty, he's hovering. Isn't that weird? Does anyone else think that's, like, not, like, weirdly cool? So it made me wonder if there's this connection, like when we think things are formless and empty, is the spirit really hovering close? Is he most near at those moments where you feel like it's empty and it's dry? Is the spirit hovering then? Okay, so I'm going to say, I'm going to take a little bit of like liberty today. Um, and I'm going to use this idea of tohu webohu. I hope I'm not butchering that. That's as close as I could find to the pronunciation. Um, and say that we go through periods of time where we feel the world is like that. Where we are caught in this tension of that Jesus has come, but things feel, they feel empty. They feel formless. It's this like we are still waiting for the full restoration. Like that's still, Jesus has come. The light has broken in and shattered the darkness. But now we're caught in the tension of the now and the not yet, right? 
And that's really difficult. We don't have a lot of like good theological language to explain that, but a lot of times we feel it really deeply. We feel that tension. We feel this thing called groaning. And this is where they connect. So a lot of times when the world is tohu webuhu, there's this sense of groaning. There's this sense of, ugh, ugh. Okay, now, I got this word maybe two months ago. And then we've come to the last month. So in the last month, we had these attacks in France where, I don't know if you went through this, but I groaned. Did you groan? And then we have Jason. You guys know that I cry, and I knew I was going to cry today, but um, it was supposed to be like in and out procedure, and things went wrong. And I walked into that room, and I saw him bandaged, and I groaned. I groaned for him. I groaned for his wife. Um, and then I got two reports this week of family members that have got really serious diagnoses. And I sat in my car, and I was like, what in the world? And I'm groaning deep in my spirit. I'm groaning, I'm groaning. And you know what? We don't like to groan at all. We don't like it. When we see people groaning, it's hard for us to just be there with them. Instead, we want to give them the theological answer of why they're going through that. Or we want to say, we break that off, and I understand healing, so I'm not, I'm not coming against that. But it's, it's this, this like fear of just sitting in the groaning with someone and saying, God is good, and God has come, and this will all be redeemed, but uh, I groan. Okay, and this is, this is a... We find this idea in Romans 8, 18 through 25. So I'm going to read this to you. And I'm reading it at the CEB. Did you get that, Judith? Okay. I really like this version. Um, I use it a lot. But okay, verse 18. I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed in us. The whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves who have the spirit as the first crop of the harvest also groan. We who have the Spirit also groan. If you groan, it doesn't mean you don't have the Spirit, right? We who have the Spirit also groan. We have this longing. We want, um, sorry, we groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Such a good, that whole chapter is just money. Have you guys like Romans 8 fans? Like when you don't know what to read, you're like, I'll go to Romans 8 because there's something in there that's going to be like brand new and fresh that I need. It's such a good chapter. Um, okay, so a couple of things we see in this passage. Um, this idea of, you know, this passage talks about how creation looks back to when it was subjected to frustration. Like we look back and we go, oh, things went really bad. It's sort of like Advent. We look back and we go, oh, here's, here's where the brokenness happened. But then 
it's like pangs of childbirth. The pangs of childbirth actually bring something beautiful. So we're also looking ahead and we're saying, even though I'm in this place of pain and groaning, there's something coming. Restoration and redemption is coming. So in, in this passage, the same sufferings become a result and a prophecy, which is also very awesome to me. This is a result, but this is also a prophecy of something good to come. The groaning in the passage is a Greek word, stenazo, which means to grieve. It's also used in 2 Corinthians 5.2. Um, so at this point, some of you are like, Sarah, you are a Debbie Downer. <laughs> Putting up my Christmas tree, I'm all happy, I'm listening to my holiday songs, and here comes Sarah, like, <laughs> <laughs> Totally not my goal, but... I feel, like, I feel like there's something really important in here for us. Um, all right, so there's this book Josh and I have been talking about, Henry Nowen's The Return of the Prodigal Son, which my dad, who's over there, gave to me. So this is my dad and mom. I forgot to let them wave. And there's my brother and sister-in-law, if they'll wave. Forgot to do that. I'm sorry, guys. So my dad sent me this book, and I'm like, how many of you guys love Henry Nowen? I was going to say, I know Meg. <laughs> we love Henry Nowen. So he wrote this book that... It just rocked my world, and, and Josh talked about it. But he talks about the prodigal son and how we identify, you know, with the young son. We identify with the older son. But then he gets to the end of the book, and it's like, drop the bomb. He's like, God called me to become the father in the story, and it's so good. And this chapter wrecked me. But he talked about there's three ways that we sort of move into fatherhood or motherhood, and there's three ways, and one of them is through grief. And I was like, ooh, that's... It's not what you want to read. When God's calling you to be a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, that's the heart of this church, right? Disciples making disciples as, as we would be spiritual mothers and fathers. So he talks about how when he sees the waywardness of the world, that he weeps and cries out in grief. And that just revisiting that again with like the last month in view made so much sense to me. Then he says this, and I'm going to quote him because it's him and I should just say what he says. So, All right, this grieving is praying. There are so few mourners left in the world, but grief is the discipline of the heart that sees the sin of the world and knows itself to be the sorrowful price of freedom without which love cannot bloom. I am beginning to see that much of praying is grieving. This grief is so deep, not just because the human sin is so great, but also and more so because the divine love is so boundless to become like the Father whose only authority is compassion, I have to shed countless tears and so prepare my heart to receive anyone, whatever their journey has been, and forgive them from that heart. So grief, if you, if you are sitting in a place of suffering or if you know someone that's in a place of suffering, you're looking back, right, and saying, oh, this brokenness of this world. You're groaning, but you don't stay. This is, this is the beauty of, of Jesus. We don't stay there. We groan and we say, oh, but Jesus has come. Jesus has come, and because of that, we have hope. And that's when we get to our, our Advent theme for the week, hope. So let me sort of connect all of this. What does this have to do with Advent? Advent causes me to look back to the subjection, to frustration, to acknowledge the full story of God in the world and grief. That grief 
motivates me to prayer and self-awareness. And I've, I've had this thought this week, because you know when something happens in the world, this is why I'm not on Facebook, guys. People get on Facebook, and they have like 45 reasons what we should do, and it's really like, ugh, and it's antagonistic and confrontational. And I wondered if we really got on our knees and like in the Old Testament said, fasted and prayed, like if my people would hum- humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I wondered if we like really took that seriously. So I wondered if our groaning for France caused us to fast and pray. Well, like, what would that look like? You know, maybe that should be the strategy that, that we pick up when things happen. So can we look inward and say, God, I'm so bankrupt. I'm so in need of you. This world is so in need of you. So come, come, come. And we get on our knees for that. Advent is acknowledging the tension of the now but the not yet. It's allowing the groaning and grieving of this broken age to motivate me to prayer and hope. So I don't stay in my groaning, I'm motivated to prayer and hope. Hope and suffering are often linked. This is one of those things in the New Testament where you're like, this makes no sense. Like, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through hard times, okay? Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, but that's not all. We gladly suffer. How many of you gladly suffer? I am yet to say that. I gladly suffer because we know that suffering helps us endure. Endurance builds character, which gives us a hope. Like, that is the way of Jesus. Suffering, and if you've spent time with the Joneses, this is their story, guys. This suffering is producing, like, you're with them and you're like, how are you not falling apart? It is so beautiful to watch, and I feel so honored to be a part of their story because I'm literally watching God enrich them with hope. Hope is the confident expectation that the Spirit is hovering. Even now, he's hovering. We're getting ready for Christmas. We know that he came, but he's coming again, and he's hovering. There's a lot of pain in the world, and the Spirit is hovering. And so even though we could say this world feels like it's a little bit tohu webahu, it's because he's going to make this good. He's going to make all kinds of restoration and redemption come. Advent causes me to look forward with eager anticipation, like Romans 8.19 says. This word eager anticipation is a picturesque term of a person leaning in. So we lean into hope. We lean forward to Christmas. Christmas is coming. Oh, things, are, things, things are bad right now in our world, but Christmas is coming. All right, so Advent is looking forward to the hope of the promise while groaning in the present. It allows myself to feel the longing and frustration of the not yet while being present in the now. So here's a couple things I want to leave you guys with. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to just, I'm going to probably stay on all of you. How busy are you this season? Maybe that's going to be like our catchphrase. Let's ask each other that. Like, are you too busy? Do you feel like you need to go to every party and everything? Is, and this is another thing I'd like you to do. When you're driving and you see those lights and you're like, oh, the pretty lights. There's so much like glitter and glitz and glamour right now, and I love it. I love it, guys. So I'm not trying to like burst our Christmas bubble. But maybe let that remind us of the darkness. There's some people that don't have homes. There's some people on the streets. There's people in other parts of the world that are being sold into slavery, that are being subjected to inhumane things. Let's look at that light and let's grieve and pray. Let that be a reminder to pray 
So it just not be about the, the, the lights and the pretty things, but let it call us to grieve and to pray. Pray for family members. Pray for the people in the church. See a Christmas tree and say, oh, I pray for Ann Bennett. You know, see a string of lights. I pray for Jason Jones and his family. I pray for France. I pray for ISIS, that they will come to know you. Let's pray. Consider a fast of some kind. <laughs> We're so ready to say, like, that's legalistic. And I, don't, don't receive it. If it feels legalistic to you, don't do it at all. But for me, sometimes I'm, like, glad I can fast. You know, I'm like oh, I'm going to give up social media because that just sucks you dry. (laughs) So maybe fast. Fast maybe an hour of TV at night and do an Advent devotional. Or fast social media. Or maybe, this is another like really out there thing, maybe fast like really rich and delectable foods so that when Christmas comes you can really taste them and you're not burnt out on it, Right? We're always like, oh, I don't want any more pie. Well, it's because you've had 12,000 pieces of pie by the time Christmas starts. So maybe wait, let it like build, and then get to Christmas, and then you're like, woo, dessert. Um, I don't know, think of something to fast, that if you feel your, your spirit go, ooh, then that's for you. If you feel your spirit go, oh, gosh, maybe, maybe not yet, maybe wait, okay? All right, here's, here's sort of this big thing that Josh and I wanted to tell you guys. Know that Advent is not something you have to do. This is not like, here we go, it's this, you know, we're this church of these rituals and we have to do, no. This is a gift. I literally feel this way. I feel like I want to give you a gift of more time with Jesus. Like, that's the best gift. Here's here's a way to do that. Have hope in the groaning. Luke 2.35 says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow. Do you know what that word means? Think about your hovering. It means to throw a shadow upon, okay? So when the Holy Spirit came to Mary, I will overshadow. That's coming. He is hovering. Rejoice for that, that even now the Holy Spirit is hovering like an eagle hovers over its young. God will make all things new, okay? All right, um, we're going to do one last thing, okay? If you guys will stand and our worship will come up. So every week we will do this um, Advent lighting, Candle lighting. And I'm going to do this and put this down. And I'm going to ask Sam. She's going to come help me. And so every week, this is a way for us to do something tangible um, to help us remember this season. So we're just going to go through a scripture reading, and then we'll tell you there's going to be a point where how we do offering prayer we're going to put something on the screen that we can all read together. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing an Advent hymn. And then we'll close it out. Okay. We're going to read uh, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. The Lord said, I made a wonderful pro- promise to Israel and Judah, and the days are coming when I will keep it. I promise that the time will come when I will appoint a king from the family of David, a king who will be honest and rule with justice. In those days, Judah will be safe. Jerusalem will have peace and will be named the Lord gives justice. So today we light a candle in hope. We're going to read this on the screen together. Here it comes. 
Okay, ready? We watch and wait for Christ's coming. During this Advent season, we light candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, remembering the promises of God with prayer and thanksgiving. Today, on the first Sunday of Advent, we light a candle in hope. During this Advent season, we remember Israel's hope for the coming of God's Messiah to save, forgive, and restore. Okay, one more. We remember our hope for the second coming of Jesus. We hope for a new birth of Christ into our hearts, into our community, and into our world. By lighting one candle each week of Advent, we help ourselves get ready for the birth of Jesus. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.